Same design as last time. Mordecai on the draw. He stopped. SMU stops him. But probably BYU does. It's Jacob Robinson with the play of the game for the Cougars. He gave his quarterback an option to throw the quick screen to the boundary. If he had numbers, he did not have numbers. He gave his quarterback an option at the top of your screen to throw the one-on-one -on -one fade if the numbers were there. Numbers weren't. Next best option was run the quarterback draw. Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Strength. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to... Chatting Yardage, part of the Chatting Average family and brought to you by our friends at Sports Drink. Hello everybody, welcome once again to the show. I am your host, Mr. Cam Matthews. You can find me on Twitter at HeyCam93. You can also follow the show at Chatting Yardage. Happy Holidays, a very Merry Christmas to you, however you may be celebrating, wherever you may be celebrating. Uh, we hope that you have a very fun, safe, and happy holidays with friends and loved ones. Got a little Irish cream in the coffee this morning as I uh, round out this week's show, uh, recording this on Friday morning, and boy, I don't know where you are uh, listening to this, but the weather outside sure is frightful, uh, which I suppose we can expect this time of year. Uh, howling winds, uh, dropping temperatures by the second seemingly, uh, but nonetheless, it has been an exciting week of college football with even more exciting action coming up in the coming days. So we'll go ahead and take a dive into last week's pick six games of the week. Of course, these are the six games that I found interesting and I believe you should have as well. Coming up first is the Wasabi Fenway Bowl, Louisville taking on Cincinnati. Cardinals come out on top in this one, 24-7. Ugly game all around, really, which is fitting considering how ugly the field actually is. You know, anytime you, you shove a football field inside of a baseball stadium, it just never quite looks right, especially in in such a uh, in such a funhouse style of field as Fenway Park is there in Boston, uh, just a really ugly game to begin with. Multiple turnovers. The weather was not great. Cincinnati jumped out to a quick seven nothing lead, and then it was all Louisville from there, uh, rattling off twenty four unanswered points. So Louisville finishes the season uh, with with some with a win in a bowl game and uh, not a bad season for the Cards, despite the fact that you know if I'd have told you at the beginning of the season that at the end of the year Louisville would not have Scott Satterfield as their head coach, you probably would have assumed that things had gone poorly, but not not really. You know they had a very mediocre, solid kind of season. Uh, but nonetheless, Scott Satterfield heading off to Cincinnati, whereas Louisville um, hiring a new coach as well. Now over to the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. Oregon State, number 14, completely pounds Florida. 30-3 to is your final score there. Uh, the first year of Billy Napier at the helm of the Gators uh, kind of goes out with a whimper. Uh, as Florida only manages to put three points on the board in their final drive, I believe as well, right as uh, right as the game is kind of coming to its conclusion. 
Oregon State, meanwhile, uh, you know, finishes up what was a very, very good season by Oregon State standards. You know, uh, they take down Oregon. They had a couple other high-profile wins. They finished the number season the, the season at number 14. So, uh, no complaints there from the Oregon State faithful. 30-3 is your final. Now, over to the, again, the, one of the otter name bowls that we have this year. The Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl presented by Stifle. Fresno State obliterates Washington State 29-6, a game that I felt like was going to be a little bit closer than this. But again, again, Fresno State, of course, coming off of a conference championship winning season. Uh, you know, they were no pushover whatsoever. Washington State, meanwhile, only, only managing six points uh, in this one. Uh, not quite the way that they want their season to end. But hey, you know, you still made it to a bowl game. You still finished your season uh, good enough to, to end up there. But Fresno State, the better team on that day. Now to the New Mexico Bowl, the closest game of the week, really, that we had, BYU versus SMU, and I think a lot of people expected this to be a good game, and boy, did it live up to the hype. BYU sneaks out a close one against the Mustangs, 24-23. to Don't make them any closer than that. Good game between two teams that I think uh, really did well in a lot of ways this season, underperformed in a lot of ways this season, but the Cougars able to come out with a bowl victory. In the Myrtle Beach Bowl, Marshall takes down UConn 28-14. UConn was looking for its first bowl win in several seasons. In fact, this was their first winning season in, I believe, seven or eight years. So, good on the Huskies for making it to a bowl game, but not meant to be as the thundering herd comes rattling down at Myrtle Beach. 28-14 is your final. And then in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, Baylor took on Air Force. That game occurred just last night, hence why... There's a little bit of a delay in this week's episode. We want to make sure that game reached its final. And the final in that one, Air Force takes down Baylor 30-15. to So Baylor finishes its season with a 6-7 and record. Air Force, meanwhile, reaches 10-3. and Quality season for Air Force. Uh, you know, this was a game, too, that crazy weather in this game. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it or not, but just ridiculous wind gusts. Uh, in this one, you know, punts, you could see them just getting batted down by the wind uh, as soon as they took flight. But, I, you know, just a good win for Air Force, a win that, you know, really they just they took over early and just never quite let it up. I think they started off the game going up nine to nothing, uh, I believe, before Baylor finally put some points on the board. But really, at, at that point, Baylor could just not get anything going um, on offense in this one. Now looking across at some of the other bowl scores, last Friday UAB took down Miami of Ohio 24-20 in a good back-and-forth game. Uh, Troy took down UTSA 18-12. We'll talk more about the Trojans later on in the show. Uh, Southern Miss defeats Rice in the Lending Tree Bowl. 34-28 is your final. The Frisco Bowl presented by Surf Pro. Boise State defeats North Texas 35-32. Close one there. Uh, North Texas, of course, big news coming out of there as their, I believe, their sixth-year quarterback uh, is going to transfer out of the program. He's also 29 years old, so one of the more interesting stories in college football uh, that you have a near 30-year-old still playing the game due to, you know, flexibility and eligibility. And that's what those rules are there for. You know, this is a guy that had a heck of a season this year, um, you know, led several offensive categories across the entire country, and you probably didn't even hear about it. Uh, but now he is transferring away from the old mean green 
Uh, coming up this past Tuesday in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, Eastern Michigan defeats San Jose State 41-27. Toledo takes down Liberty 21-19 in the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. Western Kentucky defeats South Alabama 44-23 in the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Boy, this is a game that Western Kentucky just took over early, and their offense was seemingly doing anything it wanted to uh, in this one, and they have a heck of a quarterback. Stands to reason why. That's all the bowl games that we've had so far. You know, it's been a really fun bowl season. Uh, of course, we've got a lot of the higher-profile games coming up. No, no, we we dive into a couple of those uh, here later on in the show for our pick six segment, but it'll it'll really be next week's episode as we lead up to New Year's Day, where we talk about the big bowl games of the year. It's hard to believe that this season uh, is already kind of rounding uh, rounding everything up and is almost about, is about to reach its conclusion. Really, you know, looking at the calendar, we have maybe three, four more episodes left. Uh, we'll our last episode will be released the uh, the week after the national championship game, so we can review all the happenings and all the news to come out of that one. But I tell you, it's been a blast this season. Uh, just covering college football, uh, it, it was an exciting year. A year that. You know, we all just kind of had a feeling that there was going to be some chaos, and we saw plenty of chaos, you know. Uh, we saw Tennessee seemingly reach the mountaintop once again, uh, only to be batted down by South Carolina. We saw Alabama take two losses. We saw Clemson take two losses. And so for the first time ever, we have a playoff where Alabama nor Clemson are in the playoff, uh, which, is, you know, which is historic in itself. We saw TCU become the ultimate Cinderella team and reach the playoff this season. And so uh, it's exciting to see what they're going to be capable of in their game against Michigan this year. And then we saw we saw teams like Texas A and M, you know, just kind of really fall off the wagon uh, after week two. Uh, who would have thought there? So uh, you know, a lot of overperformers, a lot of underperformers, but we've still got plenty more to talk about. So that's enough of me rambling to start off this week's podcast. So let's jump into our first segment. As always, this is Four Down Territory. First down. Oregon made waves on the first day of early signing period when five-star safety Peyton Bowen flipped his commitment from Notre Dame to the Ducks. But that wasn't the only big splash Oregon had on Wednesday, as coach Dan Lanning and his staff moved from outside the top ten in the class rankings to number six overall. The week did not start on the right foot, however, when five-star quarterback Dante Moore flipped his commitment from Oregon to UCLA. The Ducks staff quickly adjusted and flipped the ESPN 300 quarterback Austin Novosad from Baylor. The Ducks are also in a recruiting battle with USC for, and Ohio State for ESPN 300 defensive end Manteo Uyongale, younger brother of former Clemson quarterback DJU, and the number 65 prospect overall. Oregon won that fight as well. The Ducks are flipping four-star running back Jaden Lamar from Washington and ESPN 300 cornerback Daylin Austin from LSU. In total, Oregon now has 12 ESPN 300 commitments. The Ducks might have moved up in the class rankings with all the movement from the day, but it's the Alabama Crimson Tide who finished the top of the class. Alabama finished behind Texas A&M in the past cycle, and Coach Nick Saban ensured that his program came out on top in the 2023 cycle. He flipped five-star offensive tackle Caden Proctor from Iowa just before the signing period began. Alabama then gained commitments from five-star teammates Jaquavius Russell and James Smith on Wednesday. Roussel is the number seven overall prospect, and Smith is ranked within the top ten. Those two commitments, in addition to Proctor, give the Crimson Tide four five-star recruitments to the class, the most in any program. 
Saban was able to land these highly sought-after recruits and also hold on to the recruits already committed to Alabama. ESPN 300 safety Tony Mitchell and five-star safety Caleb Downs both had other programs trying to pull them away from the tide, but both signed with Bama. Georgia State started the day at number two in the rankings behind Alabama, and while it was a good day for the Dogs, the tide just could not be caught at the top. Bulldogs head coach Kirby Smart made it interesting, though, getting getting a commitment from ESPN 300 cornerback Daniel Harris and ESPN 300 defensive end Damon Wilson on Wednesday. Miami also tried to move up in the rankings from its spot at number three, adding ESPN 300 cornerback Damari Brown, who chose the Hurricanes over Alabama. Michigan added two top 300 commitments on Wednesday in receiver Carmelo English and cornerback Jair Hill. The Wolverines have been active in a transfer portal as well and have gotten teammates from Stanford offensive lineman Miles Hinton and Drake Nugent, Arizona State offensive lineman Ladarius Henderson, and Nebraska true freshman linebacker Ernest Hausman, among others. Rival Ohio State was able to get a commitment from ESPN 300 defensive end Joshua Mickens, the number 205 prospect, and a position of need for the Buckeyes. The Wolverines and Buckeyes have established coaches who were entrenched in this recruiting class, but some of the newer coaches at various programs were trying to navigate the early signing period with only a few weeks of prep. New Auburn head coach Hugh Freeze was able to flip ESPN 300 cornerback Kalen Lee from Ohio State, defensive end Keldrick Falk from Florida State, and moved up in the rankings from outside the top 40 to number 29 overall. Second down. Texas hooked its biggest recruit of the Steve Sarkeesian era when quarterback Arch Manning, the number two overall prospect in the ESPN 300, signed with the Longhorns on Wednesday. The 6'4", 220-pound star from Isidore Newman High School in New Orleans is the nephew of Eli and Peyton Manning. His father, Cooper Manning, played wide receiver at Ole Miss. At Newman, Arch Manning was a four-year starter, throwing for 8,599 yards and 115 touchdowns, with just 20 interceptions while rushing for 1,155 yards and 25 touchdowns. He broke Eli's school record for passing yards and Peyton's for touchdowns. Signing Arch Manning was big on a lot of fronts, Sarkeesian said on Wednesday afternoon. He's extremely gifted. He's got all the attributes needed to be a good quarterback. He's 6'4", 225. He's got a great arm. He's a good athlete. He's got really good fundamentals. There's not a throw he can't make. He's got the desire, the competitiveness, the work ethic needed to be great in that position. Sarkeesian said he's been recruiting Manning, who will be an early enrollee arriving in January, for nearly four years, dating back to Alabama, and continued with a consistent approach at Texas. When he committed to us, it was actually a little earlier than we were anticipating in the process back in the summer, Sarkeesian said, laughing. But we took it. We were excited about it. I think there was a direct impact on the rest of the class. He said he was impressed in dealing with all the Mannings, mentioning talking to grandparents and uncles as well. Remove the name off the back of their jersey, the Manning name. They're just like any other family that wants what's best for him, he said. It's not just about the name, it's about who he is innately inside. Fired up to get here in a couple of weeks and to get to work. The Longhorns have had three different quarterbacks, Casey Thompson, Quinn Ewers, and Hudson Card, start games in the past two seasons. Ewers, the number two overall prospect in the 2021 ESPN 300 before signing with Ohio State and transferring to Texas last summer, held down the job for most of 2022, although missing three games with a shoulder injury. He threw for 1,808 yards, 14 touchdowns, and six interceptions in nine starts, 
and struggled at times, including a 41-34 loss to Oklahoma State in which he threw three interceptions and completed just 48.1% of his passes against AP Top 25 teams. Manning will get an opportunity to compete for the job, Sarkeesian said earlier this season, that he likes to, quote, wipe the slate clean every year in a quarterback competition. We make it very clear to everyone in our team meeting room that the best players are going to play that give us the best opportunity to be successful as a team, Sarkeesian said. That would be the motivating, that should be motivating to everybody that there's always an opportunity to prove yourself and find your way onto the field. Third down. Cornerback Travis Hunter, the number one overall prospect in the class of 2022, who shocked the recruiting world by signing with Jackson State, announced his commitment to Colorado on Wednesday night during the first day of early signing period. Hunter entered the transfer portal on December 18th, one day after the Tigers lost the Celebration Bowl, which serves as the HBCU National Championship game, to North Carolina Central. Hunter will follow his former coach, Deion Sanders, to Boulder. Sanders was announced as the new head coach of the Buffaloes on December 3rd. Sanders went 27-6 in three seasons with the Tigers, including a 12-1 mark in 2022. Joining Coach Prime with the Buffaloes is a son, Shadour, who was a quarterback for Jackson State. Hunter had 19 tackles and two interceptions, one of which was returned for a touchdown during his freshman campaign with Jackson State. He also added 18 catches for 190 yards and four touchdowns, one of which was game-tying last-second touchdown that sent the Celebration Bowl to overtime this past Saturday. The 6'1", 165-pound player played high school football at Collins Hill High School in Suwannee, Georgia. He initially committed to play at Florida State as a high school prospect before flipping, flipping to Jackson State on December 15, 2021. One of college football's worst-kept secrets, of course, became reality on Wednesday when Shador Sanders, the 6'1", 198 former starting quarterback at Jackson State, announced his transfer to Colorado in a video posted to Twitter. Sanders, of course, is the eldest son of current Colorado and former Jackson State head coach Deion Sanders. Sanders this season threw for 3,372 yards with 40 passing touchdowns, while rushing for 173 yards and five rushing touchdowns in 2022. He had 349 passing yards and four touchdowns in addition to one rushing touchdown in Saturday's loss to NC Central in the Celebration Bowl. He was a three-star prospect in the class of 2021 out of Trinity Christian School in Cedar Hill, Texas. His transfer decision was, was about as predictable as the sunrise, considering his father essentially confirmed it earlier this month when Colorado introduced Coach Prime as the Buffalo's new head coach. Sanders said, This is your quarterback. He's going to have to earn it, though. Believe that. He's going to have to earn it. Fourth down. While New Year's Day is a holiday most associated with college football, there have been a number of college football games played on Christmas Day as well. Before the Cotton, Orange, Sugar, and Sun Bowls joined the Rose Bowl as a New Year's Day tradition, there were two short-lived bowl games played on Christmas. In 1922, the San Diego Christmas Classic was played with West Virginia defeating Gonzaga 21-13. Two years later, Southern California beat Missouri 20-7 in front of 47,000 in the Los Angeles Christmas Festival. These would be the last two games played in each of these bowls. With a few rare exceptions, such as the 1978 Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl from 1976 to 1979, Christmas went off the football calendar. However, there were two All-Star games that were played on Christmas Day on a regular basis. The North vs. South All-Star Shrine game held in Miami was played nearly every year on Christmas Day from 1948 to 1973. 
When that game ended its run in 1976, the annual Blue-Gray All-Star Classic moved their game to Christmas Day, starting in 79. The Montgomery All-Star Game, which began in 1939, continued their Christmas Day tradition until the final game was played in just 2003. The Blue Game was an All-Star Game that featured players from the former Confederate states, Gray, against the players from Northern schools, Blue. At different points in each game's run, they had a they had a rule where the team that was trailing could receive the kickoff after scoring a touchdown. Another Christmas Day game that had a long history was the Aloha Bowl. Washington beat Maryland 21-20 on Christmas Day, 1982. The game was won in the final six seconds when Tim Cowan hit Anthony Allen with an 11-yard scoring pass, and Chuck Nelson added the extra point. The 1987 game saw UCLA defeat Florida with 20-16, with future Dallas Cowboy teammates Troy Aikman of the Bruins and Emmett Smith of the Gators winning game MVP honors. The winning score came off a deflected pass that UCLA's Danny Thompson caught in the end zone while lying on his back. In 1998, there was a Christmas Day doubleheader in Hawaii as the first Oahu Classic was played at the same stadium, with Air Force beating Washington 45-25. The current Hawaii Bowl has hosted games on Christmas Day in as recent as 2002 and 2003. Hey everybody, this is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. This week, we're going off the beaten path and featuring an FBS team for the very first time, with Pay Dirt Pete and the University of Texas at El Paso Miners. The Miners' very first mascot was actually a student dressed up as a prospector leading a donkey named Clyde to cheer on what was known at the time as Texas Western College. The UTEP mascot got its name in a contest in 1974, according to UTEP's Heritage Commission, Michael Blue won the contest with the name Pay Dirt Pete, and Marshall Meese doodled a figure of a miner holding a pick. The first costumed version of Pay Dirt Pete was created in 1980. Pay Dirt Pete has gone through several transformations over the years, evolving from a cuddly character that students nicknamed Sweet Pete, to a tougher Pete who kicked his smoking habit and got rid of the cigar that once dangled from his mouth. UTEP introduced a new Pay Dirt Pete image in 2004, and the retired versions of Pay Dirt Pete currently reside in the Heritage House on campus. The Heritage House already has at least two earlier versions of Pay Dirt Pete on display and is open to visit the next time you find yourself in fabulous El Paso. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up at Chatting Yardage to let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your Mascot Minute. Pick six. All right, we're going to jump into this week's Pick 6 Games of the Week. As always, these are six games that I find interesting and I believe you should too. We're right in the midst of bowl season with plenty of action coming up ahead all across the Christmas holiday this weekend. First game we're going to take a look at is this Friday, 6.30 p.m. on ESPN, the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl between Wake Forest at 7-5 and, and Missouri 
at six and six. Interesting matchup here, uh, you know, especially for a team like Missouri making a bowl game this year at six and six. I think overperforming for what they, uh, what a lot of folks felt like they would be able to do, you know. Since the move to the SEC, Missouri has really just floundered in their new conference, has yet to really take that next step, including multiple losing seasons as of late. They take on a Wake Forest team that I think uh, had higher aspirations for this season, still played extremely well, but fell short in a few games that, you know, if they had to do over, uh, they would certainly change some things for a better outcome. But nonetheless, Wake Forest still finishing with a 7-5 and season. Uh, I believe, you know, that's still a quality season that you can hang your hat on. So good game there. Wake Forest, Missouri, Friday at 6.30 on ESPN. We'll go ahead and skip over the holiday weekend and move on to next Tuesday, 6.45 p.m. on ESPN, the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl between Coastal Carolina and East Carolina. Coastal Carolina, of course, uh, runners up in the Sun Belt this season. Good year at 9-3 and three overall. They'll take on the Pirates who finished their season at 7-5. and five. Uh, Played a few close games, too, did the Pirates. You think back to, like, week one uh, against NC State, where they were literally just a field goal away from taking down the Wolfpack, who was highly ranked at the time. Good game here between two teams that I believe I mentioned last week have never actually played each other before, which is surprising. You know, kind of a lower tier teams, both situated, you know, along the coastline between North Carolina and South Carolina. Um, so to a couple of teams that feel similar in a way. I think Coastal Carolina, especially, you look at them where they are right now. They feel like what ECU was maybe 10, 12 years ago you know, potentially taking a, a step up in terms of conferences, putting together solid winning seasons with an upset here and there. You know, that's certainly the team that Coastal has been uh, the past couple of years. So uh, kind of looking in, like looking in a mirror uh, in this one, of course, you know, Coastal does run the triple option, so that's always a difficult team to match up with. But, you know, East Carolina with a, an experienced coaching staff at this point and some high-level seniors uh, should be able to put forth a good game. Moving on to now next Wednesday, 2 p.m. on ESPN, the Military Bowl between UCF and Duke. UCF finished their season at 9-4. Duke, meanwhile, finished their season at 8-4 under first-year head coach Mike Elko. Uh, I think this is a good test for the Blue Devils. This is a game that, you know, they've exceeded expectations this season, and so I feel like this is a game that they can really hang their hat on uh, here in the postseason as far as, you know, wrapping up 2022 on, on what would be considered a high note, although they haven't, you know, they've done that already. Uh, UCF, meanwhile, another solid season for the Golden Knights uh, with head coach Gus Malzahn. So uh, two guys that, you know, it feels like they're both really good coaches given where they are right now with their program, uh, you know, and especially Duke. And I, I've given their praises on this show already several times this season that, uh, you know, they were a bit of a surprise. But I tell you, it feels like Mike Elko is certainly building something in Durham. And, you know, finishing off with a military bowl win over UCF would be a great way to finish the season. UCF, meanwhile, you got to know that they're looking at this as a way to finish off the year with a good Power 5 win. So should be a good one next Wednesday afternoon, 2 p.m. on ESPN. Wednesday afternoon, 5.30 on ESPN. The AutoZone Liberty Bowl between Kansas and Arkansas. Both teams finishing off the year at 6-6. Both teams were one of the better stories at the beginning of the year. 
You know, you think about Kansas, uh, who started off extremely hot to begin this year, as did Arkansas with a couple of good wins uh, early on. And, of course, you know, kind of floundered toward the end and, you know, spittered and sputtered their way to the finish line, both finishing with 500 records. So this is a way for one of these teams to finish with a winning record this year, and one of these teams is going to finish with a losing record. And, you know, this is a game that it feels like, uh, you know, a game – that could be high scoring between these two teams, um, especially, you know, Kansas, if they can really get their offense going on what is a, you know, solid Arkansas defense. Uh, this could be a really good matchup that's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, again, that's Wednesday, 530 on ESPN. Moving on to Wednesday night at 8 p.m., the Tax Act Texas Bowl. This one sounds exciting. Texas Tech at 7-5 takes on Ole Miss at 8-4. and four. Uh, You know, Lane Kiffin had had a high hopes for this season, you have to feel like, as did the Ole Miss faithful. And they finish off at 8-4, and four, which, you know, I think most teams would take an 8-4 and four finish if need be, but that has to feel kind of underwhelming, uh, you know, for a lot of people in that area. So, you know, they got to be looking to – to really put a good notch in their belt and finish off the year at nine and four. However, you know Texas Tech. Uh, Texas Tech has been kind of right there in a lot of games this season. It has felt like, and they just haven't been able to pull it off. But you know these teams are very similar in terms of offensive scheme in a lot of ways. You know, think about that air raid, high scoring offense. I think the. I think the spread for this one is like right around 70, 71. Uh, you know, so we could see a lot of yards, a lot of points put up in this one. Should be a fun watch Wednesday night, 8 p.m. on ESPN. And then our sixth game of the week comes all the way next Thursday night, 9 p.m. Bit of a late one on ESPN. The Valero Alamo Bowl between number 20 Texas at 8 and 4 and number 12 Washington at 10 and 2. A game between, again, two teams that you feel like had higher hopes for how they were going to finish up this year. You know, Texas really, really wanted to uh, cement themselves within the top top 10, top 15 of of the rankings and didn't quite get there this year. Washington, meanwhile, wanted to take home the Pac-12 and didn't get to do that either. Now, these are still two very good football teams with two very talented quarterbacks. Uh, you know, one of the better quarterback matchups we're going to see, of course, with Quinn Ewers at Texas, Michael Penix um, at Washington. It should be just a really good game, a really solid game that, you know, I think the betting favorite, of course, would be Washington in this one. But, you know, you never know with Texas, who has played uh, some really close games against some big, formidable opponents this season. So look for a good one there in the Alamo Bowl Thursday night at on 9 p.m. on ESPN. The Extra Point. Troy finished the season at 10-2, where they went on to win the Sun, Bo- Sun Belt Conference Championship and then defeated UTSA in the Cure Bowl last Friday, finishing off their 2022 campaign with 12 wins, 11 of those coming consecutively, and ranked number 24 in the final CFP rankings. Those 12 wins, of course, are a school record. So playing us out this week is the Troy Marching Band with their fight song, Trojans One and All. Until next week, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everybody. I'm Cam Matthews. This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter, at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.